You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with everybody. Open your Bible if you've got one. John chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're moving along. Today we're talking about anger, and so we're looking at Jesus and his anger issues that he has, and uh, in fact, they're good anger issues, so we're going to learn all about that today. Last week, we saw with Jesus, we saw literally him in his, the emotion that he experienced was literally just joy and festivity. He was at a wedding, uh, he performed the first miracle, turned water into, help me out, wine, and there's this massive festival, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, This week, not like that at all. Jesus goes into a temple. It is like temple gone wild. Things are not going right. Uh, Some of you guys perhaps went down to Country Thunder. You've been down there before? Nobody wants to admit to it. (laughs) First service, they were all the Country Thunder crowd. So, uh, But it's crazy uh, that's going on uh, at the temple, and Jesus uh, shows up there. So uh, we're going to look at that in just a moment. But uh, w- one of the things that we're going to look at is just this issue of anger. And uh, one of the things that, for me, uh, kind of set me off, put me in a really bad mood, is being actually around, get this, uh, large crowds. And so I'm sorry if I'm cranky sometimes. Uh, the crowds make me nervous a little bit. Actually, I do love Sunday mornings. But then the rest of the week, I try not to be in the big crowds. Like, the big store openings when Apple does their big open or REI or Black Friday. On Black Friday, I go off the grid. I am as far away from from civilization as possible. Um, How many of you just love to shop in the big crowds during the holiday season? Raise your hand. Hi. Okay. How many of you would just prefer to order from Amazon? Raise your hand. Okay, there we go. Um, And what do we do with all these boxes? Like, what are we going to do with all the boxes? Some of you are stuffing them in your neighbor's trash can when they're not looking. You're like, they didn't order like I did, so you put it in there. Um, But you get frustrated sometimes when you're in these crowds in intensity. So I'll tell you a story of generational anger issues. This is my family. So anger has been a problem in the Rice family, uh, perhaps for several generations. So uh, my dad had a little bit of anger intensity. It's probably just because of high drive, high capacity, but you just kind of like, you lose it sometimes. So here's a story. I got permission. My mom is here, by the way. So if you haven't met my mom, she'll be uh, at the Ramada after service. She's my famous mom. You got to meet her. She's wonderful. Um, So I told mom, I said, can I tell the story with dad losing his cool? She's like, which time? And I'm like, okay, the, the, the one, the real funny one when I was a little kid. So Um, We were broke as a joke when I was a baby kiddo. Uh, We lived in Monterey, Mexico for three years while my dad went to uh, medical school down in Monterey. And uh, we traveled up to Dallas uh, to do some holiday shopping. We were so broke. And my grandma felt bad for us and gave my mom a $100 bill and said, take take the family and go buy Christmas presents. And we've got like a bunch of kids and and a big family. So $100 back then kind of went somewhere. Uh, today, that wouldn't do much. So we go, their family's out shopping. My dad's losing his cool because he doesn't like the crowds either. He doesn't like the intensity of people all around him and all this stuff. He likes to be out like me, out in the outdoors, this kind of space and wonderful place. And so we typically just don't do good on planes, trains, and automobiles, all that confined space. No, thank you. Uh, but anyway, so we are uh, there. My mom is with my dad, and she doesn't have a list. And my dad, uh, 
doesn't like that, you know? So how many of you go shopping and you have a list? Raise your hand. How many of you go shopping and just let the spirit take you wherever? A bunch of you, yeah. You would be totally annoying to the list makers, you know, because it's like, what do you need? I don't know, I like this aisle, I like this aisle. And you just start grabbing stuff. So anyway, my dad is the list maker. Uh, again, he's a doctor, Christian psychiatrist. We're down there in Dallas. There's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of stress. He's in med school, you can imagine. It's holiday season. It's kind of, uh, there's this shame factor going on. He can't even get presents for his kids. That's where we're at. I'm a little kid at the time, about the size of baby Yoda, um, little tiny kid, and we go shopping, and so I'm there. My dad starts losing his cool in a department store, and I don't know what happens, you know, kind of like I think of the Christmas movie, uh, what is it, A Christmas Vacation, when Chevy Chase loses his cool, he didn't have enough money, he wasn't going to get the pool, his lights weren't working, he goes off, he just blows it. My dad was kind of having an episode, little man fit. And my mom, she's so godly and so good, she's like, Lord, right now this is so embarrassing. I pray that you would correct him. I pray that you would correct him. They walk outside, he stands on a porch, and all of a sudden a bird flies over. And right then my mom said, I'm sorry, that's too funny. And she just busted out laughing. And my dad, literally in that moment, is like, okay, God, you got me. Oh, you got me. And... Uh, you know, things change that afternoon. Um, sometimes you need to be confronted with your anger issue, and we're going to look at anger today. Uh, there's two kinds of anger we're going to learn about, a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger. And some of you have struggled with unrighteous anger, and it's created a major problems. Uh, but I want to teach you today actually about anger for the glory of God. Anger is an emotion, and it can be used for powerful, wonderful things. And so when we look at Jesus Christ in this anger episode, we need to see it as this, is, this Jesus, he is 100% man and 100% God. In him there is no sin. So his anger is the perfect template for you and me to go, that's good, that's powerful. Anger is a powerful display of emotion, uh, can be used for a great cause. What I want to do is we're going to look at the case study of uh, John chapter 2, picking up in verse 13, when Jesus sets off to go to the temple, and uh, he's going to get ticked off. Ticked off at the temple, scene number one, verse 13. It says that the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Uh, the Passover was a famous uh, re religious uh, festival or a ceremony, a uh, gathering, religious event. Some million people would flock into Jerusalem from all throughout the area. They would just come to it. Like we think in Phoenix, Barrett-Jackson, spring training, everybody comes to Phoenix. This is what's going on at the Passover. Um, it was a requirement, too, for all Jewish uh, males at 17 years or older, they had to be there, a religious requirement of the faith. So, of course, Jesus is going, and uh, one of the things they were supposed to do is they were supposed to come uh, to Jerusalem uh, not empty-handed, but with a sacrifice, like a pigeon, a dove, a sheep, or an oxen, and it would uh, commemorate and create memory of uh, the Passover that happened in Egypt when God freed his people from bondage and there was uh, an atonement in a sorts uh, that they were commemorating. And so this was a very important festival 
Um, and Jesus, it says, went up to Jerusalem. That's a long trip. And the streets were flooded with traffic, not with cars and uh, mopeds and motorcycles, but with people, with sheep, with oxen, nasty, dirty roads. It'd be about 80 to 90 miles. So that's like Phoenix to Munns Park. So they're making their trek. Jesus is there. Um, It's crowded. And uh, verse 14, he gets to the temple. Verse 14, it says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. I like pigeons. I'm a dog trainer. I use pigeons for training. I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, uh, there's pigeons there. Um, and there's money changers sitting there, verse 14. Um, a couple of people I want to point out to you that Jesus is ticked off about is number one would just be the sellers. Um, these are salesmen. Um, how many of you have ever uh, taken your used car to a new dealership before? Raise your hand before. Did they offer you a lot of money? No, pennies. Like you're, you were insulted probably by the trade-in value, but you didn't care because you wanted that new vehicle so bad. So you trade it in, and then guess what he does? He takes the vehicle, puts it through the car wash, and sells it for double the price that you sold it to him for. That's how the sales things work. Uh, so Jesus is ticked off at the, the salesmen. They're selling what? Oxen, sheep, and pigeons. Necessary sacrificial requirements for the worship of God, but they're selling them at crazy prices. Um, not only that, so that's number one, the salesmen. And then secondly, there's the money changers. These are the folks handling the money, uh, the cash registers. Um, Jesus is ticked off at them because there's an exchange rate that's crazy. How many of you have ever been to an ATM in a remote area? You want 20 bucks and you get charged like five bucks. Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, dude, this is like taking my money. This is so wrong. Um, So there's the money changers, but there's another character in the story that you don't know about because it's not mentioned right here in scripture. But historian uh, uh, Josephus uh, documented that in each of the temples during this day, and this was totally corruption t- days in the temple, the high priest was corrupt as all get out, just totally playing on religion to take advantage of people, make a bunch of money, and using God as a, as a kind of a cover. Um, there's the inspectors. And the inspectors lined up at the temple, so when people are bringing in their sheep, oxen, pigeons... The inspectors would inspect and say, that's not a worthy sacrifice. Uh, what you need is you need another oxen or sheep that's much better over here. So I'll buy that from you. I'll buy that sheep or I'll buy that oxen. I'll buy that pigeon from you. If you're poor, that's what you, bit, you did. You bought pigeons and used pigeons for sacrifice. Uh, I'll buy that from you and take it off your hands and you can have my new one. And so uh, with an exchange of you're going to need to chip in a few extra, whatever, 100 bucks or whatever, the currency, the, 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 the time was of that. But my point in saying that is that they would trade them in, charge a little extra more money, and then what they would do is they'd turn around and then sell it to the next guy. So here's what's going on. There's just a lot of profiteering going on, preying on people because they're stuck at Jerusalem at the temple. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland or before? You know, how many of you bought a million dollar hot dog at Disneyland before? (laughs) 
It's like you get it or the Dole Whip. Like you, you get it because you're there. There's no getting off Disneyland and then coming back and you're just there. You got to do it. This is what's going on in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is starting to heat up because this is just isn't right. Verse 15, it says that he starts making a whip of cords. Imagine that, somebody sitting in the back of our church service just sitting over there getting fired up about something. If we saw our guy sitting in the back of our church making a whip for a couple of services, that'd be a problem. Jesus is literally sitting in the back of the temple. He makes a whip. How many of you have ever used a whip before, like a bull whip before? Right? I grew up on a ranch, and we used bull whips to like get the horses out of the corral. We'd come out as a kid. I thought I was Indiana Jones. The horses would take off and stampede. That's what's happening. Jesus braids a whip out of cords, and then he starts, look what the scripture says. He drove them, help, help me out, he drove them all out. Not just a few of them, all of them. He drove them out. And I think about that, like he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and with the oxen. And then it says that, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. Like this rage would be, like half of you say that was inappropriate. That was escalated. Why'd you do that? Imagine Jesus Christ walking in, seeing such corruption, comes up to the money changers. They, they thought he was done with the whip. He ain't done. He walked straight over to the money changers and like, whoa. The room got quiet. You could have heard a pin drop in that moment. What was going on? I'll tell you what was going on is that there was, there was oh, I got to work out a little more. Oh. There, there was, there was a, a righteous anger that was going on. And so look what it says in the scripture, verse 16, and he told those who sold the pigeons, I'm like, oh, he got the pigeons too. Take these things away, not because there's some dirty little uh, flying rat, but because of the, the total misabuse of that, the misuse of that, taking these little, the, this is, basically this is a worshipful opportunity for the people that just didn't have much. And they're charging crazy prices to do this. And then what he says is this, do not make my father's house a house of trade. In other words, profiteering, taking advantage of folks. I remember uh, years ago when I first became a Christian, I've told this story to some of you before. Years ago when I first became a Christian, I was about two years into it, and uh, there was a, a, a letter that went out through my neighborhood. And my neighborhood was a pretty poor, impoverished neighborhood. Uh, my first house that I had and I was married to Leslie at the time. We didn't have any kids at the time. This letter circulates in a lot of elderly folks around our community. In fact, this community was Broadmoor Community in Little Rock, Arkansas. Supposedly, our claim to fame of this old, tiny, old neighborhood was we were the first neighborhood in America to get air conditioners back in like the 40s or 50s or whatever. Now, everybody probably argue it, but that's what we thought was special about our neighborhood. We were the first neighborhood to have air conditioners. And in Arkansas, it's so humid, like you want an air conditioner. So anyway, this letter goes out to the neighborhood, and it's preying upon old people, taking advantage. It says, we know that you're struggling. This is what the letter says. We know that you're struggling. We have a, a healing ministry and a prayer ministry surrounded around you and positioned for you right now. We believe that if you sow your seed gift, seed gift, financially of X amount, God will restore it a hundredfold. Enclosed is a special little prayer mat. 
You say the prayer, send your seed, and you will receive. I literally, as a brand new Christian, I got that letter. I ripped that sucker up. I said, they're taking advantage of people. I walked around the neighborhood. I knocked on the door. Miss Francis, that was my neighbor. She had this terrible dog I hated that barked in the middle of the night, but I loved Miss Francis. And I went to her and I told her, I said, don't, 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 don't do that. That's a scam. Walked to the next neighbor. Did you get that letter? Yeah. I think we're on hard times. Maybe we're going to sow our seed. Don't do that. Don't do that. They're just taking advantage of you. Here's what's going on in the temple. Total corruption from the top down. And you've seen it before, even in Christianity, how God, uh, how, how, how people take advantage of God in religion and use it for their selfish means and purposes. So Jesus is cleaning house. He says, this is not going to be a house of trade. This doesn't mean that a church shouldn't have a coffee shop, a cafe, or whatever. And by the way, that is a major expense to us. There's no money made on that thing at all. But here's the problem with churches, if churches are doing it. If they're prohibiting people to worship because they're putting up financial barriers for them to be involved in worship, that's a major problem. And this is what was going on in Jesus' day. Verse 17, it says that his disciples remembered that it was written that zeal for your house will consume me. His disciples had an aha moment where they think, Jesus just lost it. Wait a second. This is biblical. This is prophetic literature from the Psalms that talks about the zeal, the passion, the intensity that he will have for a place of worship. Uh, Understanding your anger, I want to point out just a couple of things. The Bible tells us that you and me, we, we can be angry. We can be angry all we want, but we just cannot sin. But that doesn't often work very well, does it? The angry, angry people typically just kind of lose it. Uh, the Bible tells us that as well in James uh, 1.19, it says that we're to be slow to anger, that we got to kind of slow down. The Bible tells us as well that in the Psalms that God is actually slow to anger. And so that he's abounding in steadfast love. And I think there's kind of two kinds of anger that I want you to evaluate that perhaps that you've experienced. Number one is what I would say is the righteous anger. And number two, the unrighteous anger. What did Jesus display? Righteous anger. Let me walk through those two kinds of anger, and uh, then you will assess kind of what kind of anger is in your life. And oftentimes there's both, okay? So nobody gets out of here clean like, oh, the message was for Uncle Tommy. No, this message is for you. This message is for me. And so we're going to receive it. So uh, righteous anger is the kind of anger that's intended to help. Actually, that's what Jesus was intending to do. Uh, he was sticking up for the, for the folks that didn't have a lot and being ripped off by the inspectors, the salesmen, and the money changers, and he's, he's ticked off, rightfully so. It's intended to help. A righteous anger intends to help people. It's intended to bring restoration, not retaliation. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, cleansed the temple. At the end of his ministry, recorded in Matthew and in Mark, the fury, the anger, the righteous anger of God for the glory of God is displayed in Jesus again. Why? Corruption, injustice. And so there's a restorative process and motive in righteous anger. Second, or thirdly, it's controlled. Jesus was in control. He didn't go out of control. He didn't pull up that whip and just literally just lose it and then sit down and say, what just happened? I just like freaked out. I just whipped that lady. I whipped that man. 
I whipped that sheep. I whipped the pigeons. I kicked him. I threw the money tables over. What did I do? It was all controlled. And it was spirit-directed. Spirit-directed. Um, but what about unrighteous anger? Do we see that in the Bible? We see it all over the Bible. Um, uh, unrighteous anger is intended to hurt. It's evil. When you think of American history, you think of the wars that we've been wrapped up in, oftentimes you see tyrants like Hitler and others that are absolutely intended out of great evilness to intend incredible acts of atrocity to bring harm and destruction. How about in the Bible? How about King Herod at the birth of Jesus Christ? As soon as he found out that King of the Jews was to be born, the Bible tells us that uh, Herod went out and into Bethlehem and had every, he, did, he planned and executed a mass murder of innocent children to and under. Thousands of babies were stabbed by a, a Roman uh, sword that was real short, Puggio or whatever, stabbed the children, walked in, said, do you have a child? The mother's screaming, grab the knife, start stabbing the child. This is a mass murder, the mass murderer. What does the Bible tell us about that? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2 that Herod, when he found out that Jesus was going to be the king, he, in his fury and wrath, unleashed massive murder acts. And it was anger, anger, anger. Um, Proverbs tells us as well um, that uh, it's incredibly destructive. There's a retaliation. It's uncontrolled. It's uh, self-directed. It's not spirit-directed. So when you get angry, you lose control. You start hurting people. This is unrighteous anger, not righteous anger. Um, what's different between unrighteous anger and righteous anger, the Spirit of God directs the, the righteous anger. Here, in unrighteous anger, it's just you. It's your flesh. And in fact, the Apostle Paul warns against that and calls it uh, deeds of the flesh, and he makes this long list of terrible things that the human heart is capable of. And in the middle of that list, in Galatians, I think it is, it's Galatians 5, is the word fits of rage. Now, how many of you have little kids that throw little fits? Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, let me, you can be more honest. How many of you kids have kids that have fits? There you go. How many of you men, every once in a while, you have little man fit? Yeah, me too. I have man fit. Sometimes I fall down in the middle of the kitchen and just cry and scream. Aah! My wife says, are you having a man fit? I say, yes. And she says, are you on menopause? Are you in menopause? I'm like, yes. I'm joking. I don't do that. But isn't it true that oftentimes what happens is when you see these little kids throw these rages, I mean, they lose control. And then when they grow up because they haven't been parented well, they lose control and their rage is just a fury and it's highly destructive. Um, the Bible tells us that we're to humble ourselves before the Lord and he will pick us up. Some of you have been so unrighteous in your anger that you need to be humbled by God today. You need to be reminded that your, righteous, your unrighteous anger is incredibly destructive and you're like that toddler on the floor throwing a fit but now, you're not just hurting the floor and looking like a fool. Now you're destroying families. You could be destroying businesses, destroying marriages, all because anger is not for the glory of God anymore. Anger is now for the glory of self. 
and you're hurting people because you're yourself hurt. And so God wants to heal that. And I think about this, and I, I, on a lighter note, we need to understand and identify what kind of anger do I have? Do I have more of an unrighteous anger? Or do I have more of a righteous anger? Like justifiable reasons to be angry. What kind of person are you? Here's the question. Ask this question to yourself today. I'm going to divide the room right now, and you're going to tell me which kind of person you are when it comes to anger. Are you a spewer or a stewer in anger? You're either one or the other, and sometimes you're both and, but you tend and trend towards one way or another. And I want to get you to a place where you go, I want to pursue anger because it is a rightful emotion, but for the glory of God. And that's what Jesus did. Um, I want to teach you how to be angry like Jesus. So what kind of person are you? I would say, um, first, let me talk about the spewers. Self-assess. If this is you, get ready to raise your hand. Uh, if, and this is great. Don't worry. I'm a spewer too, okay? So all my spewers, take heart right here. I'm with you. Um, not proud of it all the time, but I am what I am. Uh, so a spewer typically... A, they express their anger in totality. They express themselves very fast and just kind of unload, unwind, decompress. They're quick to get angry. Sometimes they have a short fuse. Uh, they say things they don't mean. And if you're a godly spewer, you go back really fast and you have lots of apologies. I'm very sorry for saying this. I did not mean that. That was my anger talking. I didn't mean that. And you try to uh, fix it up. The, the downside is, is that you literally think as a spewer, you have to get it out of your system. So you just like, you let people have it on a regular basis. You just, <laughs> Jesus says to be light of the world. The problem is, is a lot of times Christians are like the intensity of light and heat. They focus on people and they just fry them. And that's just too much light. So when it heats up that much in intensity, and right now we have racial tensions, we have political tensions, medical tensions, everybody wants to air out their ideas, and it's like flame breath. You're like, dude, you just incinerated that person? Are you a spewer or a stewer? Um, the spewers, they say stuff like, well, at least I don't hold grudges. And I just let people have it. At least I don't do that. And I agree. That's good. You don't hold a grudge. However, if you nuke the person that you're talking to, there's a problem. Um, how about the, the stewards? These are folks that suppress their anger. They just stuff it down in and stew it up. And they're kind of like bitter all the time. They grit their teeth. They don't say what they really want to say. They don't do what they really want to do. They're afraid of what's going to happen, but they're so angry on the inside. These people, they're sick a lot of times. They have ulcers. They're going to have heart attacks. They literally have a high anxiety because there's, there's hurt inside of them, and they don't know how to get it out. And so they stew on it. They nurse grudges like little demon babies. And you say, why would you say that, a demon baby? Well... Because Paul said that when you're angry, you're literally giving a foothold to the devil in your life. So let me say that again. 
Paul talked about it in Ephesus that when you're angry and you're not dealing with it, you're going to bed night after night and you've got a bitterness inside of you, an anger and a rage that's undealt with and unspoken or not dealt with, guess what's happening? You've given some real estate to the demonic. Um, He said that you give the devil a foothold. Is it the actual devil that takes a foothold into your life when you are dealing with unresolved anger issues? Or could it be the devil's henchmen, his fallen angels? I believe it's the fallen angels, the demons. And you say, why do you say that? Because the devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He's not like God, like that. So what's happening in our culture is that there's so many people, and even in our church, and even in us, and me, and you, is that when we're angry about something, but we're not dealing with it, we're creating a little space for the devil's workmen, demonic, to be able to attach themselves, and your bitterness begins to bleed into everything you say, everything you do, infect and affect everything and everyone. It's, it's, it's both can be really, really bad. Um, and both at times can be good. Like there's times when you just hold back and you shouldn't spew. So tending and trending towards being a spewer, my humble friends, raise your hand. There we go. Everybody look around. These are the spewers of our church. Watch out. They might get you. And then how about the stewers? Those of you just hold it. You nurse it. You got demon babies in there. Be careful. My point in saying this is anger is an issue. And you got to know how you tend and trend. The best thing I can teach you is to depend on, the God, on God to help you with your issues. you got to know more what kind of person you are. I heard somebody right after first service, like, man, I'm both. I'm a spewer. I'm a stewer. I'm, I'm a mess. Well, just go to the Lord. When you blow it and you lose control, and you go to the Lord. He forgives. The Bible says that God is slow to anger, but listen to this, the Psalms. He's abounding with steadfast love. Steadfast means strong, together, holding you together. He's got you. So no no problem is too big for God. Uh, In the middle of your mess and your anger issues and all that stuff, there's mercy. There's mercy in the mess. And so you're typically a trend and tend towards a spewer or a steward. And uh, I want to challenge you. to move forward. Uh, a classic steward in the Bible, by the way, would be the psalmist David. Uh, he committed, he had, a, uh, had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He sat on it. He didn't talk about it for a very, very long time. And this is what he said in Psalms 23, 3. He says, when I kept silent, listen to this, my bones wasted away. There was a heaviness upon my heart and all my strength was gone. The weak, impotent people are the people that don't deal with their problems. The strong people are the people that confront their issues and look at it and go, that's a problem. I don't want to live like that. I'm going to deal with that. And so I want to challenge you, Ephesians 4, 27, give no opportunity for the devil. You need, listen to me, you need a righteous anger today. You need a righteous anger in life because too many people sit quiet, silent, and don't do anything. And we need to know how to access the emotions. And anger is oftentimes not accepted in culture. Jesus probably lost a bunch of folks as soon as he made that whip. And then when he threw over that money table, probably a bunch of people said, that's too much, man. That is, that, that is too much. But then you, you peel it back and go, why did he do that? 
There's total corruption here. Total. My concern for most of you is you do not know how to exercise the anger for the glory of God because one, you've never been taught unto, unto how to do that. Two, is because you don't care. And here's what I mean by that. How do you exercise anger for the glory of God? You have to learn how to hate evil and love good. But what we do in uh, what I would say is uh, casual Christianity is we don't hate evil, we entertain evil. Um, We say, it's not that bad. Um, Have an intensity for the glory of God to hate evil, to see rape, to see murder, to see abortions, to see all sorts of crazy, heinous sexual sins and say, that is a classification the Bible has called evil. And I don't want evil. This is why we have law enforcement to curb evil. Uh, no, no organization or institution is perfect. However, there is a real evil in our world, and there's real good in our world. And you, as a believer, righteous anger is, I hate evil. God uh, hates evil. This is why he cleansed the temple. He hated the evil. Do you hate evil? My guess is, is too many of us have been desensitized, I would say, um, by media. Uh, I think media has probably one of the strongest influencers on our generation than any other influence than anything. Um, You will, and some of you already have, by the end of your life, will have watched television with 78,000 hours logged in. That is eight years of your life You've been watching somebody else's life and how to do it. And the content of that messaging, eight years you have been programmed or messaged, here's what your brain has received. By 18, you will have already watched 200,000 acts of violence. 200,000. That person just got killed. Oh, that person just got the knife slit across the throat. Oh, that was that. Oh, that's no big deal. (laughs) Where's the popcorn? The psalmist that convicts me, uh, Psalms 1, blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. No, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he's careful to do everything that is written in it. I think we delight in evil, ladies and gentlemen. I could name the movie. I don't need to. We, because we're fallen creatures, we delight in evil. We don't hate evil oftentimes. We like it, but you don't want to admit that. That's a problem. And then um, additionally, two out of every three TV shows today include sexual content. That means a lot of what you're watching, there's all sorts of, Bible calls it fornication. Whatever you want to call it, you can call it. Bible says that's fornication. That's sex outside of marriage. Fornicate, fornicate, fornicate. Anytime we do weddings, we just say, hey, you know, we want to challenge you to live pure. Well, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend and this and that. And I always just say, you know, the Bible's really cool because it has awesome language to help us to understand how to live right. Bible calls that fornication. You should do a study on fornication. They're like, yeah, this is awkward. Fornication, uh, sex, all over the media, um, And what I would argue is it's a slow fade. I don't think it's good for us that we inundate our minds in media with lots of murder, 
desensitized. Eight years of television, two to three of the shows that we're watching all have sexual content in it. Uh, never before in American history has there ever been a, such a sexual revolution and a confusion about gender. Do you think that media has had an impact into that? So what are the greatest influences of our life that determine really if we can do this thing, anger, correctly? I would say uh, faith. If you have a faith in Jesus Christ, that'll help you live a righteous anger in life. When you see things that are evil, you, you name it. That's wrong. Don't live like that. Uh, family, good family. Build a good family if you don't have one. Uh, restore your family if you can. And then media. Uh, man, isn't that crazy? We're going to lump media in the top three influencers. That's, that's where we're at. So how do you have a righteous anger? You learn to hate evil and love good. If you leave it to media, you will not hate evil. You will think evil is just normal. And you'll embrace it. And then you become a fool. And then your anger is out of control. So number two, I would just say, say and do what needs to be done. Too many Christians sit around and don't do anything that needs to get done. They feel, uh, see an injustice. The Bible tells us that when you see injustice as a Christian, actually that we're to do justice, love kindness, and then walk really humbly. That's wrong. How about this? An abusive father who drinks too much. How about a young man who comes home from college and dad's beating his mom? What should that college guy do? Grab his dad, throw him against the wall and say, you can't live like this. You can't destroy our family like this. You're a drunk and you beat mom and throw him out. And you, you see what we do is we downplay it. Oh, they have fights. Oh, they have some issues. Don't we all? It's not how it should go. You should be raised to a higher level of intensity when it comes to seeing evil in your world. You downplay it all and you just kind of rake it in. And then we watch a corruption. We watch a satanic movement of evil kind of move through our world and we become desensitized. Politically correct. I don't like that. I don't think that's how Jesus is. I don't think Jesus is like that. I think Jesus had a righteous anger that was good and godly and says, yes, Good is good and evil is evil. Do you have those categories in your life? Do you? Can you say what is evil? Do you see evil? I see evil. I see evil in me. I want out of that. I ask for God to restore that and make it good and make it right. What kind of person are you? And then what are you going to do to live with a righteous anger? James says this. He says, you know what the problem is? The apostle James in James chapter four, he said, the problem is, is that basically he says, whoever knows the right thing to do, meaning like you're sitting there and you're watching, this is really bad. This is really bad. This shouldn't happen. This should, and does not do what needs to be done to him, that person, that's sin. There is sin and not doing anything. You sit there and you watch the evil unfold in your family. You sit there and watch in your own life the addiction to pornography, the addiction to drugs, the addiction to alcohol. You sit there and you let it keep going. How about you just say, Satan, enough, let's go to war. I stand on the scriptures, I'm washed and made clean by the power of Jesus Christ. This is demonic, I'm out. Clean, make me clean, Jesus, amen? Let's celebrate that for a moment because we need power. We need power in our lives. And I want to encourage you to do that. Last one is I'll just challenge you is remember Jesus will return. There are some evils in the world you're never going to be able to fix. You don't get to self-deputize yourself and become the a law enforcement officer or the, the army guy that you want to go rid the world of evil, you know, because maybe that's not your job. 
You should pray for those in, men and women in uniform. Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that they're avengers. Aha! They're avengers of evil. And they're agents of God's wrath when done rightly for the glory of God and the good of a city and the good of a community. So there are some things in life you just got to remember, Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to fix this. It's not my place to do that. And listen so that you understand there, the anger, a good anger, a godly anger. At the end of the day, we have to remember all the wrong and the evil that we see in our world. There is one who will make it all right. He will right every wrong. Listen to this. Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, the white horse the one sitting on it's called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one but himself knows. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and by the name which he is called the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword of which it strikes down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? The man will return. And until that time, you and me, friends, we got to do our best to just make this place a little bit better. Get control of that anger that you have. Figure out, is it unrighteous or righteous? Learn who you are, spewer, steward, and then do something about it. Amen? All right, Lord, thank you for today. I do pray for your power and your presence in the lives here. Heal the homes, heal the heart, where anger has lost all control and become unrighteous and ungodly. Lord, remove all demonic activity where folks have just kind of let that door stay open way too long. We pray it's cut off in the mighty name of Jesus today. We pray for healing, we pray for hope, we pray for renewal, we pray for blessing, we pray for protection. And Lord, teach us, Lord, like the famous uh, reformer Martin Luther in the 14th, 15th century that saw the corruption of his day and because of a righteous anger unfolded a multitude of churches that have the freedom of scripture and freedom to worship and open access more and more to you, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would fire us up for the glory and the story of God, for the good of all people, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.